with your host, Stephanie Arnold. Hi, and welcome to the show, Brian Kriegler. Would you mind introducing yourself for us? Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Brian Kriegler. I am a managing director at Econ One Research in the Los Angeles office. I have a PhD in statistics from UCLA. Most of my practice is in wage and hour litigation, and I've also testified in the areas of breach of contract, civil rights, and Medicare fraud. Brian, we always like to start with an icebreaker question, and my question for you is, I know you are a Little League coach. So, What is the craziest thing you've seen on a Little League field? Just recently, I was watching my son, six years old, and his buddy was uh, catching for the first time. And there were a couple of runners on base. I think it was first and second. And the ball was hit to the outfield. And the ball kept rolling and rolling. And the catcher stands up and his catcher's gear immediately starts to fall off. No big deal, except what he does then is completely turn around, turn his back to the play (laughs) to try to fix his gear. Meanwhile, the runners keep just running around the bases. (laughs) Everybody's yelling at the kid, turn around, the ball's coming, turn around, the ball's coming. He could care less. He was just trying to fix his gear the whole time. Uh, Poor kid. <laughs> I didn't know whether to laugh or to cry. He'll remember that, or his parents parents will remember him. You can't get, you can't get mad at something like that. No, especially when they're six. You, just have, you can't get mad. You just have to laugh. That's really... There was also one time, this was memorable, there was a ground ball hit to... The third baseman. Again, these are these are five and six year olds. The kid gets it at third base and he freezes. He has no idea what to do. And all he hears is another kid from left field say, Throw the ball, throw the ball. So what does he do? Turns around to the left fielder and throws the ball to the left fielder. <laughs> Made an accurate throw too. <laughs> Must be hard not to laugh. <laughs> you have to laugh. Good, good humor. Competition comes later then, I guess. Okay, that's a good one. All right, Brian, I understand that you're actually here today to talk to us about bootstrapping. I am. Bootstrapping is cool. And just to get this out of the way, this has nothing to do with Bootstrap Bill from Pirates of the Caribbean. I am, however, 95% confident that statistical bootstrapping would impress all of the pirates aboard the Black Pearl. (laughs) Okay. Good to know. Uh, But what do you, and you're a statistician, what do you mean by bootstrapping? Basically, bootstrapping involves running lots of simulations on the computer using data that's been collected and analyzed. And those simulations are used to derive confidence intervals. We've had other people on this podcast talk about confidence intervals, but I don't think we've ever asked a statistician. Can you give us an example? Sure. When Gallup conducts a political poll about a particular candidate, they select a random sample of 500 people and ask them a few questions. And the poll may show 70% of people support a candidate with a margin of error of plus or minus 4%. What that means is we're 95% confident that between 66 and 74% of all people support that candidate. That range from 66 to 74% is known as a confidence interval. And I gather that one of the ways to determine this confidence interval is via bootstrapping? It is. The estimate is 70%. That's based on the sample of people. It's an estimate because it's based on a sample, not the whole population. And it's natural to also ask, what's the confidence interval around that estimate? That's where bootstrapping helps. 
I take it you like this method. I do. I like it because the only prerequisite is that the sample is selected at random. Bootstrapping can be used to derive any confidence interval you want, 90, 95, 99%, whatever you want, as long as the sample is random and we understand the sampling design. Even if the sample is really small, like what if my sample is 25 people out of a million people? The cool thing about bootstrapping is that it's especially useful if the sample is small. That's one of the advantages is that unlike other statistical methods, there is no minimum sample size. If you've got a random sample, you can use this to get reliable confidence intervals. Now, to be fair, a small sample size may produce a wide confidence interval. In our Gallup poll hypothetical, the 95% confidence interval based on the first 25 randomly selected people may range from 55 to 85%. That's a wide interval, but that doesn't mean it's an unreliable interval. It just means that we're 95% confident that the true percentage is between 55 and 85%. It is what it is. Got it. Walk us through what's involved in bootstrapping. There's a few steps. First, you have to know the sampling design and sample size that was used to collect your data. In the Gallup poll example, maybe 500 names are selected from a population of a million names. That's a simple random sample of 500 people. That's the first step. Second, you resample the data you collected. That means taking a sample from your sample and allowing observations to be randomly selected more than once. In my Gallup example, the sample size is 500 people, so I would resample these 500 people, meaning some of those 500 people may get selected once, some may get selected more than once, some may not get selected at all. The third step is to record the results from the resample. In this Gallup example, we're interested in the proportion of people supporting a particular candidate. So we would calculate the proportion based on this resampled data set. And then you do these steps over and over. Resample, record the data. Resample, record the data. And by taking a sample with replacement, I take it you get different results each time? Bingo. Resampling is the same. It's, it's synonymous with sampling with replacement, and that is key. Otherwise, if you sampled without replacement, you just get the same sample over and over every single time. Talk to us a little bit about what this accomplishes. This will accomplish a couple of things. First, we take advantage of the fact that the original random sample is a stand-in for the population. By resampling the sample over and over, we get a firm grasp of how much variation there would be if we selected thousands of random samples from the population. Second nice thing about this is the variation provides information needed to compute a confidence interval. Keep in mind, a confidence interval for a population average tells us how much sample averages vary across random samples. Instead of using thousands of random samples, we're using thousands of random resamples. We can do that because the data we collected gives us an approximation of the variability in the population. And how many times do you take a sample from your sample? You can do this as many times as you want, but usually a thousand is enough. After about a thousand resamples, the confidence intervals don't change very much. Uh, but thanks to computers these days, there's no limit. Now you testify a lot. 
Can you give us an example of bootstrapping in real-time litigation? Sure. In wage and hour class actions, sometimes courts will base their ruling on the testimony of a random sample of class members. These are cases where workers allege that they were not correctly paid for all of their hours worked, and their testimony is used to estimate average damages per class member. Maybe the class has 10,000 people. You can't have all 10,000 people testify. Instead, a random sample of class members, maybe 25, would testify. Is 25 enough? 25 may be the most that the court allows. Usually, what I do is take as large of a sample that's allowed so that the confidence interval is as narrow as possible. In any event, this is a random sample, and it's a subset from the population. Average damages in the sample and the true average in the whole class are not necessarily one and the same. Nevertheless, this is a sample from the population. That sample gives us an estimate of average damages for, per class member, and that's why it's so important for the confidence intervals to be reliable. The court can then use the confidence intervals along with the estimated damages to determine a reasonable amount of damages per class member. And I take it the question then becomes, how do you go about determining confidence intervals? Exactly. If you have a few hundred people testify, then any number of methods for confidence intervals probably give you close to the same result. But with 25 people, not every method is reliable because some methods have sample size requirements. Bootstrapping doesn't have that. In your practice, how do you work with that sample size of 25 using bootstrapping? The first step is to analyze the testimony of these 25 people. That analysis gives us a damages amount for each person and an estimate of average damages per class member. Let's say that average across these 25 people is an hour of additional work per week. Then we start resampling. I will resample the 25 people and get a new average. And I do that over and over. I do that a thousand times. After a thousand times, let's say that the 25th lowest resample average is 45 minutes and the 25th highest resample average is 75 minutes. Using bootstrapping, I'm 95% confident that the true average is between 45 and 75 minutes. How common of a practice is bootstrapping? It's very common among statisticians, and it's well-documented in the literature. I can assure you I did not make this method up, and I won't take credit for it. Well, are there any downsides to using bootstrapping? The perception, only because bootstrap confidence intervals are determined using a computer algorithm rather than a mathematical equation. The fact that this is a simulation may give the impression that these results are made up and unreliable. Besides now having a new meaning to bootstrap... <laughs> What are some main conclusions that you'd like our listeners to have? I think there's two things. One is that it's advantageous to take a random sample. As long as the sample is randomly selected, there are established methods for, for estimating population characteristics and deriving reliable confidence intervals. I also think it's important to have a reliable method for deriving the confidence intervals. Very often I hear people say that the sample is too small to conclude that the sample average is a reliable approximation for the population average. That's why it's so important to 
look at and interpret confidence intervals as well. Maybe your sample size is small. Maybe the confidence interval is wide. That doesn't make the sample unreliable. It just means that the sample gives us a wide range for the population average. Again, thank you for being here and sharing about bootstrapping with us. I ask the same question at the end of every podcast. What is your favorite part about being an economist? But you are a statistician, so I'll rephrase and ask, what is your favorite part about being a statistician? I like interpreting data. I like making sense of the data. I like explaining it and putting it in terms that maybe are, and putting it in the right terms, even if it's not obvious. Brian, it was great having you here. And again, thank you for sharing. If you'd like to learn more about Brian, head to our website at www.econone.com. Thank you for joining us on Inside Expert. Inside Expert.